I am Neil Edwards, and this is The Leadership Range, where we elevate the voices of black and brown coaches, leaders and allies, and have soulful conversations about all things at the intersections of leadership, relationships and teams, well-being and equity. Here I offer deep insights and practical tips for work and life. Today is the second in a series of four conversations I had with people over the alarming events in Washington, D.C. on January 6th. We are continuing to get a sense of how people experience the events in their own words and what it means for them in the context of allyship. Everyone has something unique to offer from their own point of view, yet their experiences are all human. What I love about this conversation is the juxtaposition of clarity around what was there for the for, for all of us to see next to the obscurity around the personal question of what now? I believe a lot of people felt this way because there was no more denying who we are uh, when all of it was on display for the whole world to see. Beyond an isolated incident with one crazy person who is not me or not us. So you're going to hear from Ken Mosman. Ken specializes in working with men. Uh, which he's been doing for almost two decades, uh, working internationally with clients spanning uh, corporate world, academia, entrepreneurship, and the arts. Ken has a big life and, 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 and it's broad and full of adventure. He's a professional coach and leader. I encourage you to read his story on, on his website. Uh, his focus is in helping men expand their emotional literacy, fluency, and flexibility so they can lead with presence and empathy. So, Ken, here we are. What an amazing and incredible week that we've all been a part of. The emotional field is one, and we're all experiencing it. And we're all experiencing it somewhat differently because we are individual identities. Mm. What hits you the hardest this week? Wow. A lot. I experienced this week. I love the way you, you talk about the field and being, being one. And the way I experienced this week metaphorically, and then I'll get into a little bit more in terms of specifics. But the way I experienced this week was somewhat like August at the Jersey Shore. And when I say August at the Jersey Shore, those who have ever spent time at the Jersey Shore during hurricane season know that the sun can be shining brilliantly. You can't quite see what's going on in the water until you get close to it. And there can be hurricane waves that just come one on top of the other, on top of the other bits and pieces of stinging jellyfish, you know, and that's kind of the way the week rolled out specifically Wednesday, you know, watching the election returns come in from Georgia, mm -hmm. feeling extraordinarily delighted and seeing the results for Warnock come in first. And uh, of course, Ossoff came in later on in the day. I don't even remember what time we got the news about Ossoff now and with everything that went on, you know, August Ocean, here we go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's all rolling layer in. after layer after layer. You get lost in it. Yeah. 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 And, you know, the temperature is perfect and there's riptides and jellyfish. And um, yeah. So specifically, 
you know, what hit me the hardest in all honesty was, well, the images, you know, the images that. Name the image that comes to mind. Oh, man. Uh, I mean, there's so yeah. many, I know. Yeah, I know. There's, there's just so many of them. But seeing people in the, in the halls of the Capitol with Confederate flags, that, that's one image. You know, the other image that just kind of whacked me over the head. And the subtlety of a brick to the face was the guy sitting at Pelosi's desk with his feet up on it uh, with, a, with what I can only describe as a, a, as a smug, better than anyone expression on his face. Mm -hmm. What do those two things, the Confederate flag being marched through the nation's center, right, of lawmaking. Um, this person, this man in the office of the Speaker of the House with a smug presence and foot up on the desk. What did it mean to you in that moment as an, as an American white man? What meaning did you make of that? Well, the meaning that I, the meaning that I made of it is nothing short of you know. Um, well, first of all, I want to say this: it didn't surprise me. You know, it didn't surprise me. the The meaning that I make of it, uh, or that I made of it in the moment, was, you know, I knew we were fucked before, but I didn't know how deeply fucked we were. Mm -hmm. Actually, I'm not. You know, as I say that, Neil, I'm not exactly sure that that's true. You know, I'm not exactly sure that that's true, because if I dial back a little bit and even go back, um, by the way, I didn't I didn't find out that all this was going on until they had already breached until it was already, you know, uh, uh, I, I had a full day of work and I walked out of my office, I think sometime around three thirty in the afternoon. And, um, you know, and I met my my son was coming out of his his room at the same time he opened up his door. And he said, um, and he said, uh, I can't remember exactly what he said, but something to the effect of, you know, they've, 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 uh, they've occupied the Capitol, you know, and, and it took me a, a, a moment or two to make, you know, to like, well, what, well, what, what, what are you talking about? But then, it, but then it, 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 it hit me. And then immediately after he described it, I got a text from my sister because we'd been texting back and forth. Um, we've been dealing with my, my dad and, and finding him uh, care. So there's family emergency going on at the same time of every, uh, as all of this other stuff is going on. And, um, you know, it just, it, it just, it hit me in a way, and I know the comparison has been, been made, but it hit me in a way that was not unlike the, uh, the response to seeing the planes hit the towers on 9-11. Mm. I mean, it was like a, um, you know, again, it was like it was a knife to the heart, a brick to the forehead, however you want to describe it. But as a, you know, as an as an adult, I like to think of myself as an adult, as a as as a, as an adult gray bearded white dude. Seeing that guy sitting at Pelosi's desk, you know, I, I don't even have words for it. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I don't, you know, I let don't me try, even... let me try something. Yeah. Yeah. Go here. for it, man. Go yeah. for it, please. Cause you, you say, you know, a knife to the heart 
a brick to the head. So what when you said that, there's two things. I you either took my life or you knocked me out cold. Mm. What was taken away from you in that moment? What did your body know? Yeah, my my body knew that we had gone over an edge. And I say we intentionally. You know, I say we intentionally that we had gone over an edge that on the one hand was struck me as, well, this is the logical next step. You know, this is the logical next step. And the the next thing that hit me, you know, and there were a lot of things coming in all at once, but what was taken, I think there was a, there was, I think there's a certain level of innocence, you know, um, that that I may have been retaining somewhere that was, you know, stripped away. And I can look at the different parts of myself that, uh, that that's true for, because it's not true for all, all of me, but it's certainly true for, for parts of me, probably my, my inner child, my inner adolescent, just seeing, seeing their worlds uh, disintegrate, you know, the house of cards that, that, that it was all of a sudden becomes, oh, you know, wow. You know, this, this was a house of cards. It wasn't all that in the bag of chips. Mm -hmm. What's the innocence? Yeah, the innocence is a sense of, well, that doesn't happen here. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen here. And I may be getting a little ahead of myself and, and, and slow me down if I do, because I, and I'm writing about this. I heard over and over again, you know, after the Capitol was cleared, Mm -hmm. And the, uh, the Congress went back to the business of, of certifying the vote. I heard uh, a number of speakers say, you know, this isn't America. This does not represent America, including Joe Biden, by the way. Mm -hmm. said, you know, this isn't America. We're better than this. And all I could think of was like, no, this is America. This is as American as it gets right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is, you can't... <laughs> You, you can't say that this isn't America when this is happening in America, on America, you know, on American soil, in the people's house, you know, in the place where laws are made in that in that sacred space underneath the dome. You can't say it's not America. Have it's you ever said America. it's fucking America? Have you ever said, have you ever verbalized up until this week? This is America in the context of this type of egregious behavior. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's it, it, it's funny that you ask me that because it's often the topic of dinner table conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, the notion that this is what and who we are right now. You know, of course it's not the totality of what and who we are, but to say that it's not is saying, well, you know, I don't I, I really, you know, I don't have a left arm. Mm -hmm. I swear. Mm -hmm. Or in this case, it's a right arm. It's it's saying it's saying this aspect of us doesn't exist. Exactly. This is this is not true. Right. You know, and I and I, you know, what's coming up for me is that um, perhaps you you you've been courageous enough um, in the past to to call bullshit on that. You know, yeah, more it, it, my, it yeah, is most, an aspect of us. It is absolutely an aspect of us, and whether you want to call it a shadow, whether you want to call it, I don't know what you would, you know, the I've written about the I've written about the underbelly you know, the underbelly of America. And this is it. 
you know, this is it in, in vivid color. The, the problem is it is no longer the underbelly. You know, if what I'm reading and hearing is accurate, which I have no reason to believe it isn't, you know, 30% of, certainly 30% of voters have believed the lies and the nonsense and the idea that the election was stolen. Mm-hmm. And that 30% is a big portion. I said, I said arm before, but that's kind of, you know, from the waist down mm-hmm. in terms yeah. of a body, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, I'm going to talk about, I wanna, probably, I wanna, yeah, yeah it, it's, it's, it sounds to me like, you know, some truths about the United States, the us, the, who we are, at least an aspect of us. And what to you as, as a white man, if anything, is threatening about this aspect of the United States to you personally. Oh my goodness. What is threatening about it, Neil? Yeah. To you. Oh, all of it. There's not a piece of it that isn't threatening and some background might be useful because I, um, first of all, I'm Jewish and there's so much of what has gone on in the last four years Mm -hmm. that mirrors, you know, so closely the march toward Nazism, whether it's the way that the press has been treated in right wing, well, which is now pretty much mainstream. I think of Fox News, that's, that is mainstream news. Certainly has been mm-hmm. up until now. The treatment of the intelligentsia, the notion that there are these cabals, and I use that language very intentionally, there are, there are these cabals of elites that need to be rooted out. And all of that, you know, all of that is what preceded and led up to. And there's a part of me, and we could get into a whole conversation about epigenetics. Mm-hmm. Is it knowing the history or is it somewhere in my DNA that says, and I said this, and I actually said this to my wife and son hearing the news and not you know not knowing yet that they were they were going to sweep out you know who knew where it was going to go at that point and i said if this succeeds we're going because it's just a matter of time you know it is just a matter of time before the jews are next because that's the pattern mm-hmm. that it follows historically mm-hmm. that's the pattern that mm-hmm. it follows historically you know, thank you for sharing, you know, that, that background, Ken. I, <laughs> I have to tell you that I want to say three or four or five of my conversations this week as a black man in different contexts with coaches, coach groups. I have had to raise this point about being Jewish in the context of this week. And that this isn't about just black people. No. You know, like this is real. And there are people who feel this in their bodies, know this in their bodies. And this is a dark and dangerous time. And people's lives are literally at risk when we take a look at what's going on. That's why I asked you the question, what is the threat to you? And we've seen this story before. We've read this book before. You know, people die. People die. People did. And people did. And this isn't, apparently, this is not over. Right? So allyship is something that has been in the narrative a lot, you know, for the last 12 months. 
at least, and it's really picked up since George Floyd was killed, right? And for this conversation today, and, and we're not going to spend a lot of time, what I want you to contextualize allyship for us, for the listeners here, for yourself, for me. What does allyship mean to you? If you were, I know it can be complex, but what does it mean to you in in a sentence or two? What does it in mean? a sentence or two. Um... It is a tall ask. It is a tall ask. It is a tall ask. Um, The first thing that comes to mind is speaking truth, speaking what's so, regardless of how comfortable or uncomfortable it is, it's willing to have a voice and using it. Okay. So willing to have a voice and, and using it. So where have you noticed you have that voice, you have that power, you have that privilege, you have that rank that maybe others literally don't have or have the perception that they don't have it. Where have you used that in the past? And how are you willing to use that now, given where we are now going forward? And what might be different? Yeah, I think what might be different is, um, and, you know, I'm looking at this and saying, is it, is it different or is it actually more of the same? Of course, you know, I have mm-hmm. my podcast and there's nothing that's off the table in terms of topics of conversation. And uh, particularly of interest to me is the topic of responsibility, you know, personal responsibility, responsibility for one's, you know, responsibility for one's world. And I know that can seem like a really big concept, but the responsibility is this is happening, you know, this is happening in my world. Therefore, you know, there's, I'm going to have something to say about it. Is that enough? Is that enough? Mm -hmm. Is being in conversation Uh, and throwing my words out into the world and in many ways not knowing uh, who's seeing it, who's reading it, who's listening to it. I think it it raises a a big question for me, you know, Mm -hmm. about the enoughness of it. I'll put it that way. Mm Because I do. You know, I feel that I feel that myself as well with the work I do, you know, which I call world work, and you may be familiar with that term. Um, taking responsibility for, you know, there's work that I do, I get paid for and this and that. And then I, there are things I care about, justice, which I don't right. get paid yeah. for. Nor do, nor do <laughs> I. certain things, <laughs> yeah. right? And you, you say certain things and it has, it has impact in the world and people make judgments and so on and, and so forth. And that could impact your livelihood, for instance. And, and I wonder, you know, I, I do this sometimes. I may think of something I should do, but I don't do it. Mm -hmm. Is there something in your journey as an aspiring or presumed ally or just a person who understands marginalization as a Jewish man, is there something you notice that you thought about you ought to do, like you you, you should have, could have yourself, but you didn't do it, and you still haven't done it? Oh my goodness, you know, uh, yeah. one. 
the thing that's over the edge. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure it's exactly over the edge, but I'll, I'll share. There's a little bit of a backstory here because I wrote to my my our congresswoman here is Elise Stefanik, who has uh, you know she's been lockstep with Trump from the get go, and I wrote her a letter. So there's some backstory here. I wrote her a letter years ago about the proliferation of of weapons it may have been after the and i don't think she was in office after the newtown shootings it was probably after that but i yep you know another one of our uh, many mass shootings but i wrote her a letter and about three weeks later i get a letter in the mail from the office of elise stefanik and i open it up and uh it i'm not going to say everything that it said but the bottom line of it was I should not worry because she's watching out for my second amendment rights. I was talking about getting firearms out of the hands of idiots. And she writes back and says that she's said, she's going to make sure that nothing happens to my second amendment rights. And so the, and I don't want to make an excuse for not writing since then. Uh, but the bottom, you know, the thing that I haven't done is written is picked up the phone and said, Hey, what the hell? You know, uh, mm -hmm. when I was deeply offended by signs outside of her Glens Falls, which is just a town north of us, Glens Falls office, uh, a, bi a big banner that said, uh, fight the radical left. And as I'm driving past on the way to drop my Prius off to get serviced, you know, here I am in Whitesville, Mr. Privilege, you know, I'm, I'm going past this. I'm like, she's talking about me because I'm certainly not mm -hmm. a backer. And um, yeah, that's one of the things that, that I have not, that I have not done. And um, mm -hmm. you know, I will be doing it this week. That's for sure. Oh, you will be. Okay. Cause I was going to ask you, okay, so now what? Oh, now, you know, <laughs> now it's, uh, yeah, because she was also one of the people on the house floor who, who backed the objection to certifying the vote. Mm -hmm. And uh, no, that's, that is, that's, that's, you know, it's one thing to stand with your party. It's another thing to stand with batshit crazy conspiracy theories that persist so it won't be a challenge for you then because i was about to challenge you to ask you if you're committing to do that um you know and as a, as a good as a good coach you know how you know how that goes by when and and what accountability do you need around that <laughs> yeah i'll be doing it um by 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 wednesday i'll send you a copy neil awesome <laughs> And I, you know, I, I appreciate your commitment to, to, to taking action. I appreciate you being willing to just share on the fly for leadership range today. And in the spirit of allyship and the spirit of expanding leadership, enough is always enough. And we are always seeking to expand our leadership range. Hmm. So, you know, give yourself and we give ourselves grace around uh, the, the connotation that not enough is bad. It's just where we are in our range. And then the question is, how do we continue to expand that range and step over that next edge? So it feels like you're on the edge and, uh, and clearly you're, you're about to take another step in having a conversation in some form with one of your elected officials. Thank you, Neil. Yeah, I appreciate your time today. Yeah, pleasure being with you.
you know, I love what I do. I just love it. As a coach, I get to talk to people about stuff they don't typically share outside of very close relationships or, or don't share at all. It privileges me with an ocean's view into the uncleansed inner world of the human experience. And through this medium, this podcast, The Leadership Range, I get to draw out tiny glimpses of, of that human experience so it can get out into what I call the, the world channel. I really hope at least one person's life is touched or shifted in some way with each conversation I have here. Yeah, so when Ken said, my body knew that we have gone over the edge, I suspect many of our bodies knew exactly the same thing. There is this kind of collective knowing that the world we're in is not the same one we were in a moment ago. It is a new reality. Of course, you know, this is happening all the time, yet from time to time, the shift is profound and we know, we just know collectively that things have changed. Ken compared it to 9-11 and I've heard that over the last few weeks myself several times. We knew the world was suddenly different all at once. Ken said something like, there was a, a certain level of innocence that may have been stripped away, perhaps false of that does not happen here or that is not us is gone. That innocence is just stripped away and gone. Whether or not it was an illusion, whether it was true, whether it was a, a hell belief or whatever, it's gone and there's no more hiding or pretending or living in various illusions of what we are. Ken said all of it is a threat. Now, I didn't dig in to explore what all of it is, but the pause and the pace of the conversation was telling. It is manifold. And as a Jewish man, Ken knew so deeply that he said to his family, if this succeeds, we're going because it is just a matter of time, meaning time before they come for Jewish people. I don't know a lot about this, but I believe Jewish Americans and African Americans have historically collaborated around mutual interests of survival. And I would say there is high value at looking at allyship across these differences now. When I asked Ken about allyship going forward, like most people I know, he was not sure if what he had been doing was enough and was unclear on what he could do going forward. You know, was he taking responsibility for his world? You know, that is for Ken to answer. We all would do well to ask ourselves, how am I taking responsibility for my world? And, and like I said at the top of the show, not only do I love what I do, I get to elevate voices of black and brown coaches and leaders I also get to elevate voices of allies. Doing this work allows me to offer and bring more good to the world than I can do alone. Changing lives for the better. That's what works for me. Do what is for you to do because the world is yours as much as it is mine. And we each have influence in the circles around us. And when we each take responsibility, doing life-giving work, the world improves a little bit. So thank you again for listening to The Leadership Range. Join us next Monday to listen to another voice sharing their experience of the 1-6 insurrection on the U.S. government. If you haven't done so yet, you can find me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash in slash 
N Edwards 07 or Instagram at Neil underscore Edwards underscore coaching. Your feedback is always welcome. If you have ideas for future topics or know a leader whose voice ought to be on this show, The Leadership Range, send me an email at neil at neiledwardscoaching.com. Until next week, this is The Leadership Range.